Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The humanitarian work wasn't quite the way I was supposed to be serving others, even though that part of my mission was clear was when I was in Indonesia. And then it it took a while after that and more missions to really lead me to the holistic healing. But it was 2004. We were supposed to be in an area accompanying human rights activists, but it was under martial law. And so we were all very stressed. There was a lot of tension in the team. And and it ended up showing up in my body as repetitive stress injury in my arm, as like a lot of lost weight. Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome to the True Fiction Project. I am your host, Renita Hora. The Unbroken Horizon. It is an upcoming novel, and it is the subject of this week's episode of The True Fiction Project, written by a fellow author, Jenny Brav, who I am very excited to talk with. Jenny, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. Me too, me too. I have read the book. I have spoken with you about it in some detail, and... We're going to do things a little bit differently. We're actually going to do two episodes on the show. This is the first one. So the subject of our discussion will be a little bit different for each. So in this particular episode, I wanted to ask you about your experience as a humanitarian and what part of that history, your own personal history, informed your characters, or should I say, your character, Sarah? Yeah, I love that question. For people who don't know me, I did about a decade of humanitarian work in different capacities and then moved to California, the Bay Area in 2010 to study holistic healing and set up a practice. And in the Unbroken Horizon, one of my two main characters, Sarah, is a humanitarian nurse. And I really had been interested. I mean, my journey with humanitarian work had a few different parts to it. And it really started in college when I went to Nepal in a study abroad program and fell in love with the country, the people, but also really like 
felt deeply some of the social issues in the country. And so after I graduated, I spent close to a year and a half in Nepal in a Fulbright studying a system of bonded labor that was prevalent there. And those experiences, I would say, actually informed both my characters, both kind of my, some of my understanding of what Maggie, who's my historical character in the early 1900s, went through and her family went through as sharecroppers. So as part of the research in Nepal, I spent a lot of time living with and interviewing people within the system of bonded labor, which of course was a different era and country than slavery and post-slavery in the U.S., but there were some similarities and it really helped me understand the complexity of that. And then after the Fulbright, I got a master's in international social work. And then from 2002 to 2010 was really my second stint of volunteering and then working, doing humanitarian work. Right, right. And I'm glad you brought up the mention of Maggie because this particular story has if I can explain it correctly, two main characters almost. There's Maggie's story, there is Sarah's story, and I will not get into how or why they are connected. That's up to the reader. <laughs> it would be a spoiler. <laughs> yes, that would be a complete spoiler. But suffice it to say, they are both have significant relationships with their mothers. One perhaps comes back to her mother, doesn't have such a great relationship yeah. you know, with her mother. Was there any of that that came from your autobiographical story? That's a good question. I actually had a good relationship with my mother. So that part of the story with Sarah was not so autobiographical. But with Maggie's, I mean, my leaving home, I grew up in France and going to college in the U.S. was not tragic and traumatic the way Maggie's was. But there was definitely some of that. You know, her encouraging me to leave to go to the U.S. to spread my wings, even though it meant I knew I was leaving her. So there's definitely some mm -hmm. of my story in that. I think, yeah, as I said, Sarah's mother is very different from mine, but my mother did pass when I was 25, when I was in Nepal, and that led to when I was doing my Fulbright research. So that definitely impacted kind of my choice later to when I graduated with my master's. It was 2002. I actually had a little bit of money saved up from my mother passing from her life insurance. It was after 9-11 and I realized that I did not want to stay in the U.S. in that context at the time. It really felt like a lot of our civil rights and freedom of speech was being eroded. And I really wanted to know what was happening. I felt this, I really felt compelled to go to the Middle East and study Arabic and understand firsthand what was actually happening. But at that time, <laughs> I didn't really have any parental or any parents stopping me. And I was in my late 20s. And my sister was also doing international work, which I can talk to a little bit later as well, because some of 
Sarah's work kind of combines my experiences and my sister's. But I started out in the West Bank just doing protective accompaniment of Palestinian olive pickers. And then that led me to go to Lebanon and teach English and French in a, to use in a Palestinian refugee camp. And then later I went to Syria and that led me to really want to do protective accompaniment of human rights activists in conflict zones. Mm -hmm. I went to Indonesia and back to Nepal to set up a project to help accompany human rights activists there. And so some of my feelings of both really being compelled to do this work, because I sense that that was what I was here for is to serve others, but also the burnout, the um, some of the difficulties, the not quite feeling like I was doing what I was meant to, that Sarah goes through parallels some of mine. Her actual experiences in South Sudan were taken more from my sister's experiences with Doctors Without Borders. She was a head of mission for their South Sudan project. So the Bush Hospital that I described there was really inspired by her photos and her stories and some of the things she'd shared. So that's some of the parallels. And I can speak yeah. more to that, but I don't know if you have any more questions about that. I'm glad you mentioned Sarah's mental condition and a lot of what she was going through, her anxiety and, you know, her health issues. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, your own situation. I know yeah. that, well, she's a nurse, you're a holistic healer. Yeah. You're a humanitarian abroad. And Sarah does delve into EMDR sessions and hypnotherapy to help her through some of this. So talk to us about that. Yeah, I would love to. So I think for me, when I first realized that maybe the humanitarian work wasn't quite the way I was supposed to be serving others, even though that part of my mission was clear, was when I was in Indonesia. And then it, it took a while after that and more missions to really lead me to the holistic healing. But it was 2004, we were supposed to be in an area accompanying human rights activists, but it was under martial law. And so we were all very stressed. There was a lot of tension in the team. And I internalized a lot of that, tried to mediate, and it ended up showing up in my body as repetitive stress injury in my arm, as like a lot of lost weight. And I just ended up having to leave early, which was a really hard choice for me because of my health. And I remember seeing an acupuncturist at that time who listened to my pulses and there was really nothing there. She couldn't hear anything. And she said, there's nothing of you. You've just given, you know, 200% of yourself. And that's when I started realizing, oh, the way that I'm trying to help is this self-sacrificing pattern that I developed when I was young of putting other people's needs first, kind of this sense of either or. It's like either your needs or mine. And so I felt like I was a secondary character in my own life of everybody else is the main character and I'm here to support them, but there was none of me left. And so my 
journey in 2010, when I moved to the Bay Area, I kept on feeling compelled and the Bay Area kept on coming up multiple times around holistic healing. And that's when I realized, oh, this is a way that I can be serving others while taking care of myself. And this actually helps me find more wholeness rather than and helps nourish me rather than depleting me. And that was part of Sarah's journey too, was recognizing, oh, she's called to do this higher purpose, but she's doing it in a way where she's actually running away from her life and not really facing some of the wounds that are still festering. And that was a lot of the original healing modalities I did were both for me to learn to do it with others, but also for me to heal some of the wounds of my childhood, especially around my father's sudden death and my mother's sudden death. And that parallels Sarah's. I did a little bit of EMDR. Actually, one of my main modalities is tapping, but it has some similarities with EMDR. I wanted to use something that was maybe better known and really specifically for trauma. And I have done hypnotherapy. I actually did a few sessions of hypnotherapy to access Maggie more because I felt her within me and even to access Sarah and to go deeper into their stories. And one of the first times I, for myself, got a vision of Maggie, which is what put me on this whole journey was at an EFT workshop where we were really, we did a meditation to go back in time and to feel into a part of us that was needing healing. It could be a child part, it could be you know, something else. And that's when I got this really powerful image of being in the forest and seeing hoods. And I felt really nauseous, which is similar to what Sarah experiences in her nightmares. And then I did automatic writing the way Sarah does to really know more of Maggie's story. So that was the beginning of it where I got the outlines of her story. And then the research that I did on that time frame in the U.S. then filled the blanks and really informed some of what was happening around Maggie. It's amazing. There is so much of you in this book, in these characters, in their journeys. And I know that this is your first book. And so in some ways, perhaps you felt compelled to put so much of yourself or some of yourself in there. But I love the way you weave it into the fiction. And I'm glad you mentioned the childhood traumas because you are about to read us a portion of the story that actually goes into Sarah working with her therapist, Patrick, remembering the time that she lost her father. So before you do that, Jenny, we will have a part two where we're going to be talking more about the relationship with your father and how that influenced the story. So we'll save that for the next episode. But yeah. before you read this excerpt, please give us some more details about the book, where we can find it, where we can find out about you and anything else you'd like our listeners to know. Yeah, I would love to. So it is coming out August 15th, which is the 41st anniversary of my father's death. And the significance of that will be highlighted in the second episode. And it'll be available on 
Amazon also, there will be another ebook available on Barnes and Noble. There will be the hardback available through Ingram, all versions, paperback, ebook, hardback, not that audiobook yet. That's a whole other project. And I think one of the things I wanted to highlight in the excerpt I'm about to read was there was this pivotal moment when my after my father died, my mother wasn't there and my sister and I found him. And when my mother came back the next day, I'd spent a day without her really missing her. I was eight years old. Sarah's 12, but I was actually younger. And I just couldn't wait for her to come and take care of me. And then, you know, she was a young widow, had just lost her husband. So she arrived and she was devastated and sobbing. And in that moment, as a child, I just made the decision, oh, I'm going to have to take care of her needs rather than mine. And so part of my healing of that self-sacrificing pattern I had was really recognizing the unconscious decision I made at that point and working through it so that I can find my wholeness and let go of the either or. So for readers, that will be part of the journey with Sarah, part of the journey with Maggie. And I'd love for the readers to really feel into your lives and whether there are unconscious decisions you made that limit you of either or and how we together collectively can start healing and letting go of these wounds. Because that's really my hope of what will come from people reading this book is just being inspired and and feeling some of your wounds starting to lessen. Well, thank you, Jenny. All right, I cannot wait to hear the excerpt and the beginning of Sarah's healing process. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. and closed my eyes. This memory was readily available, having split my childhood in two. Even after 22 years, I remembered every minute as though it were yesterday. It was June 14, 1989. I was 12 years old. The night before, the three of us had an early dinner at my mother's favorite French restaurant before taking her to the airport. She had a surgeon's conference in Boston, I think. I mostly remember exchanging shy smiles with the boy at the table next to ours. 
The next morning, I woke to the wailing of my dad's alarm clock. I was both annoyed and surprised. He almost always woke long before it went off, heading out for his morning run before reviewing the day's cases. I asked him once why he set the alarm at all. I think his answer was just in case. Anyway, I shouted at him to turn it off and was getting ready to barge into his room and give him a piece of my mind when it finally stopped. I think I'd just gone back to sleep when it went off again. I yelled at him, hey, dad, are you in the shower? I'm trying to sleep here. Some of us are on summer break. It didn't stop, so I stormed into the bedroom, figuring he'd left and forgotten to turn it off. When I saw he was still in bed, I froze. I'd never seen him sleep in, not even on weekends. I said something like, Dad, you have to get up. It's late. But he didn't respond. The sheet was covering his face, so I couldn't see him. Sarah, what are you feeling now? Patrick asked, startling me. I'd almost forgotten there was someone else in the room with me. I feel sick to my stomach. It's hard to breathe. I'm anxious and want to make sure dad's okay, but at the same time, I don't want to touch him or go anywhere near him. Sarah, open your eyes and follow the movement of my fingers. After a few minutes, my breathing was less labored and I felt calmer. I continued. I approached him on tiptoe, grabbed the sheet with two fingers and jumped back. His eyes were closed, but his face looked pasty. He still didn't respond when I shouted his name. At that point, I ran into his office and called 911. I was shaking so hard it took several tries before I could dial it properly. It's my dad, he's not moving, I told them, barely able to get the words out. When the medics arrived, they said he'd had a massive heart attack. They pronounced him deceased. One of them, a young woman, squeezed my shoulder. I'm sorry, sweetie, I remember her saying. She was the only one who was kind to me that day. I stopped to let out a breath. Sarah, what are you noticing in your body? Patrick's voice cut through the fog of the memory. I had told this story countless times, but I had never allowed myself to actually feel it. It was as though my mouth and voice were doing the retelling, disconnected from my heart and from the rest of my body. I don't know. I feel numb, frozen. I can't move. I can't feel anything, I said, following Patrick's fingers with my eyes. Slowly, I started noticing a heavy weight in my chest, making it difficult for me to breathe. The movement of the fingers stopped. For a moment, I felt myself stop breathing too, and I gasped for air. Then I felt a subtle shift, like a big boulder lodged in my heart starting to budge just a little. My breath came out jagged and uneven. Take slow, deep breaths and just allow what you're feeling to come up, Patrick instructed. Without any forewarning, tears started streaming down my face. I wrapped my arms around myself and rocked back and forth, sobbing. When the tears finally subsided, I felt exhausted, but also a little lighter. Sarah, is that enough for today or do you want to continue? I wiped the residual tears from my face. Oh, I want to continue. I don't want to have to revisit that day again. To gather myself, I gazed behind Patrick at the framed photo of the waterfall crashing into sparkling turquoise waters surrounded by lush green trees. 
Although the picture looked professionally shot, I knew Patrick had taken it, and I imagined him kneeling to capture the perfect image. I sighed, bringing myself back to the present. After telling me my dad was dead, the medics asked me for a relative they could call. Since I was a minor and I couldn't stay alone, I had no idea which hotel my mother was staying at and couldn't remember the name of her conference. So they went through the list of people I might be able to call. They were able to reach my grandma, Belle, my mother's mother. She arrived 45 minutes later, lips pressed together. I only saw her once a year at most, and she and my mother had a frosty relationship. But I remember desperately wanting her to hug me and tell me it was going to be okay. Instead, she patted me awkwardly on the arm and said, your father always worked too hard. I'm not surprised it came to this. Maybe your mother will learn from this or she will be next, I'm sure. And then she went off to make phone calls to try to locate mom at her conference. Her words felt like a slap in the face. I barely slept that night, but when I did, I dreamt that mom had died too and Grandma Bell was sitting there stonily saying, I told you so, now it's just the two of us, kid. My mother arrived in the next afternoon. I couldn't wait for her to come. I just wanted her to hug me and reassure me, even though that wasn't her way anymore than it was her mother's. She did hug me, which was unlike her, and she was sobbing. I'd never seen her cry before, and it felt like my whole world collapsed. Although I said the words, I had gone numb again. Allow yourself to feel things collapsing, Sarah. It's okay. You're safe now, Patrick said. And for a split second, I believed him. I felt the boulder shudder and dissolve a little, but then it lodged in my throat. Sarah, what are you believing about the world and yourself right now? I don't know. I guess that I'm alone, that I can't trust that things will be okay. What new belief would you like to replace that one with? I have no idea. I'd love to believe that I'm not alone and that everything will be okay. But even now, I don't, not for a second. After all, I was just asked to leave South Sudan because I wasn't okay. Patrick continued guiding me to feel my feelings, follow his fingers, and describe what I was sensing. By the end, it felt like there was a little more space. Some of the boulder was still in my heart, but some of it had shifted to form ground under me. When I got home, I drew a bubble bath and wept for an hour into the soapy water. I went to bed at 8 p.m. feeling completely spent and fell into a deep sleep. Here at The True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. 
Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.